All right. Um, sorry, my my internet was a little choppy earlier today, so um, I don't know if I start lagging or you find that I'm I'm suddenly just dropped off. <laughs> like, just someone text me because I probably wouldn't probably keep preaching and I'll be preaching to no one. Um, so, uh, so just let me know. I, I don't know what's going on with my internet. It might be because there's construction going on nearby my condo complex and it's disrupting some stuff. Um, but let's pray that my internet will be fine for at least for the duration of the sermon. Tonight, uh, I'll be preaching from Psalm 133. And so you guys have your Bibles, go and turn there with me, Psalm 133. Um, and you know, I chose to be in Psalm tonight because we just finished our, we just finished our marriage series, right? We, we spent nine sermons in the marriage series. It took us about five months or so to get through that. Um, so we just finished our marriage series and, and, and right now we're in between series. Uh, in June, I'll start a new book series. Um, right now I'm leaning towards the book of Nahum. No one else has suggested me anything, any other suggestions. So I'm just gonna, I'm gonna run with it. Um, but tonight we're gonna do a sermon on Psalm 133. And I chose Psalms, chose to, chose to preach on a Psalm because well, one, I, I think one of my life goals is to be able to preach through the entire book of Psalms. Um, you know, by the time God calls me away to heaven, um, I hope, hopefully I can get all 150 Psalms under my belt. And, and so I'm just going to work my way slowly through all this. But I, I believe tonight's sermon is, will be beneficial for us, especially for all of us who, who have been scattered in a way for this past year. I, I think that this song will help us think about what it means then to regather as things are starting to open back up, as our church is thinking about what it means to reopen. <clears throat> and so tonight's sermon, I hope to accomplish purpose. I, I hope that this tonight's sermon will help us uh, think about what it means to return back in person in a biblical, thoughtful manner, in, in a way that truly um, help us think what is, why, is, why is it so important for, for us to regather in person to worship God together as one fellowship. And the second purpose I have for tonight, and I'm hoping that this sermon will help, is, is to present a little bit of my own heart for IT, and to present my, a, a, a glimpse into my vision for IT, I guess, per se. Uh, I mean, I don't, I don't really have a vision like clearly written out yet. I was actually thinking about that this past week. I was writing out some stuff, um, but I, I just, I ha I'm not satisfied with it yet. I, I don't feel like it's in a place where, um, where it's clear or concise. And so I don't want to force it. So I'm not going to, so this is not an official statement, but I, I want to show you guys a little bit of my heart of what I'm thinking through, what things I've been processing about uh, young adults and what does it mean to be a young adult Christian and a young adult fellowship. And, and, I'm, and I'm thinking about all this and praying about this because, as I mentioned earlier, I'm transitioning to a full-time position as your young adult pastor. And I, I, want to be able to, I, I want to be able to shepherd you guys in a certain direction so that we're not just doing this week-by-week, month-by-month fellowship with no goals in mind. And we'll, I believe Psalm 133 will help us think through a little bit about worship, about fellowship, about us, who we are as Christians in one body. Uh, Psalm 133, just to give a little background, it's the second to last Psalm of Ascents. Uh, and the Psalm of Ascents, there, there, are, there are Psalms 120 to 134. And, and these Psalms are, they're, they're focused upon 
a group of people, Old Testament believers, Old Testament saints coming to the temple of God to worship God. And, and some commentators will say these songs of sense were most likely sung by uh, those, the Israelites who were in exile. And as they were coming back out of exile, returning back to Jerusalem, they were singing these psalms as they were returning back to rebuild the temple. Uh, other commentators will say that these songs were simply sung on the steps of the temples as people were descending up the temple to make, to make uh, offerings to God, to make sacrifice to God. They were singing these songs. And I, when we look at these, when we look at these psalms, the song of sense, there, there's, there, there are these great songs of praise to God, and we see within these songs just what it means truly to be devoted to God, to have excitement for God, to realize that our lives connected to God, to the Lord Almighty, is one that is enriching and full of blessing. And so in Psalm 133, in this psalm written by David, King David, we, we see here that King David, he extols a great blessing to worship fellow believers in unison. And, and we'll, we'll see here a certain joy to worship God. And so have your Bibles out with me. Let's turn to Psalm 133. And it's a short psalm, so I'm going to read through the whole thing here um, from the top. So Psalm 133, starting from verse 1, the subheading says, A song of ascents of David. Behold, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell in unity. It is like the precious oil on the head running down on the beard, on the beard of Aaron, running down on the collars of his robes. It is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. We see here, we see here that this song has this great exaltation of worshiping God in a fellowship, in a community of believers. And I believe when we look at this, it will, I want us to continue to think about what does that mean for us? What does it mean for us to worship in person, to worship with a fellow believer side by side, to have our voices call, rise up together as one, to sing praise to God? What does that mean? Guys, do you guys miss that? Do you guys miss that kind of worship, that kind of singing? Do you miss hearing the sound of your brothers and sisters, of their voices I know with yours to sing to God. I want us to consider during the sermon what the, what what we have been missing for this past year. Things that we're we aren't able to do when we don't gather in person. We see here in this psalm, we see here three descriptions of unity. Three descriptions of unity of of what what unity looks like when the people of God gather together to worship him. And these descriptions here should challenge us, challenge us to think about what it means to have corporate worship. Psalm 33, in terms of its structure, it's, it's built around these two central similes, comparisons, right, in the middle. And, and so we're going to break down these similes. We're going to break out the psalm in, in this way. First, we're going to see the, the subject of the psalm. Then we'll see the actual comparison that's being made. And then we'll see, lastly, the result 
of the psalm. And so first, we will come to the subject of the psalm. And there it is. The subject psalm is the blessing of unity. The blessing of unity. We see here David, he is, he's proclaiming, he's extolling just how wonderful it is to worship, to stand together with other fellow saints, other believers. And if we think about uh, the psalm says, if the psalm says we're truly sung by these journey exiles all coming to the temple of God, there's, there, there's somebody's journeyman coming together to Jerusalem, they've been traveling a long distance, then this psalm here, Psalm 133, represents the final destination when all the pilgrims have arrived at the temple. Take a look here at how David describes this gathering. He calls it good and pleasant. Good and pleasant. These two words, these two adjectives, they're actually being used to describe God himself in Psalm 135, verse 3. Psalm 135, verse 3 says, Praise the Lord, for the Lord is good. Sing to his name, for it is pleasant. And so God himself is good and pleasant. What does it mean then for believers to dwell together? What does it mean for them to experience good and pleasantness? But what, what, what David is telling us here is that the goodness of God is shining through the unity of these believers. That, that there's something spectacular about this picture of all these different groups of people, different families, different tribes coming together to worship God. It's... It's the same feeling that you get when you see a big crowd of people chanting together, right? And the, the, the voices swell up as one. There is something about large gatherings that really, like, just really grabs our attention. It says here that these people, they dwell in unity. The, 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 the direct translation is to, is to dwell together. So it's a they're dwelling together. And, and we can find this phrase, actually, these, this phrase to dwell together being used in Genesis chapter 13, verse 6, and in Genesis chapter 36, verse 7. And in those two verses in Genesis, it, it speaks of relatives living together in the same land, sharing the same resources. And so there's a sense then about dwelling together together dwelling in unity there's a sense here of not just living in the same area but a sense that every person holds a social responsibility to one another in other words it's it's like saying it's, it's dwell together you and i we just we both live for say one example like it's, it's, it's more than just that. It's more than saying we live in the same city. It's more like you and I are housemates. We have a responsibility to take care of the house to get better. And there's something about those we actually live with, right? Those you live with that, that really changes the way you relate to them. If some of you guys, if you guys had college roommates, right? College roommates tend to share a certain bond that's that's unique and different than say your relationship with other friends. 
right? Uh, if you, you, when you have college groups, you, you live together, you get each other's nerves, you know each other's habits, you know what you guys do every single day. And you're also there for each other through the thick and thin. And, and there's this, this certain kind of bond that you share because you guys have lived together. I, I know for myself, my the college roommates, I, I mean, I don't hang out with them much these days where all of us are married, some of them have kids, um, but I will still call them my closest friends. We see here, dwelling together, this, this, is, this is the subject of the psalm. It's a unity of people, people from different life stages, people from different backgrounds, different families coming together as one before God. It's a, it's a unity that's found upon a common heritage and a spiritual covenant. We see here how different families, different tribes are all coming together as one people. And I, and I want to invite you guys to think about this and to think about your own relationship with God, as well as your own relationship with fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. When do you rejoice in the same way? Do you rejoice when you're able to gather together and sing praises with them, to be able to worship God together? Uh, I mean, when we used to gather together in the sanctuary, sometimes as we're singing worship songs, I will take a step back and just be quiet so I can hear the voices of people around me. And yeah, not everyone's singing in tune, that's fine. There's still this sense of just amazing, um, this amazing unity of voices all coming together, seeing God. Do you guys ever just take a chance to listen to that? And, and just, just think about how all of us from different backgrounds, different places are gathered together to worship the same God. And this is the picture that I imagine when I think about an inter intergenerational church like ours, it's a picture that I envision IT to, to really help contribute to. And, and when we're talking you know, about gathering people together for church, we're not talking about gathering of people as, as if we're just acquaintances. We're truly gathering people together who treat each other as family who live life together, who hold a social responsibility to one another. Just think for a moment, what role and responsibility will you say young adults play in an intergenerational church? Just think about young adults and, and where you guys are at, where we are at within this church. We're really just the linchpin, the bridge between generations. And maybe you don't feel like it. Maybe, maybe you might feel a little out of place, but just think about it for a moment, right? With the younger generation, then they have their own culture, right? Generations below us, they're, they're, they're being, they're changing so fast because of technology and social media and all these things. And, and you may feel like you don't understand many things of youth culture today. I know I don't, I, I don't understand half the things youth culture is saying these days. I, I've come I come face to face with that every time I have to speak in youth ministry. But in a way, we still understand them better than, say, our parents do. Because we do have some familiarity to what social media is like and to what these youth are going through living here in America and, and all the different pressures that they may feel from school, from church, from family. 
Or consider, for instance, our, your relationship with the 50 plus, with the older generation. And, and as young adults, and when you guys are coming of age, you guys are learning to take on more responsibilities to hold a job, to pay off bills, you, you come to realize just how much the older generation sacrifice for you to build, for your parents to have you where you're at, for the older generation within our church to build up the church to where it is today. And, and that means you have a certain honor and respect for the older generation. And it's at this stage, this young adult stage, that you may realize just how much they have sacrificed. And, and while, you know, for the youth, they may knock off the older generation as a, you know, far away, old school generation. I think as young adults, we truly come to appreciate the foundation they've built before us. You see here how we become this connection, this bridge for the whole church to really truly be intergenerational. This here is, is a connection that we can share both with those who are older than us and as well as those who are younger. I mean, just imagine a church where we truly feel like a family. For each one of us, brothers, sisters, aunties, uncles, Imagine us helping raise each other to kids, children, each of us being part of one of their families. Imagine all these different people, married, families, children, singles, widows, all of us fellowshipping together, worshiping God together. And yes, all of our relationships won't be perfect. There'll still be arguments. There'll still be disagreements. There'll still be fights and discomfort, and that's basically describing a family, right? So what role and responsibility then does young adults play? And specifically for those of us, those of you who come, who come to SABC Wano, what role does in transit play as part of an intergenerational church? And so we see here the subject of the Psalm is indeed the blessing of unity. And then David goes on to, to look at the comparison. He compares this unity, he compares it to two different, um, two different analogies here. And we see here in these comparisons, the consecration of this unity. Right? The, the, the psalmist here, David, he stands in wonder at the unity of the people. And, and first he compares this unity in verse two to this precious oil running down the head and beard. I mean, it's, I mean when we read this at first, it's, it's a strange illustration, right? It's, you know, what's this oil that's coming down? Like I, when I think about, you know, droplets of water coming down, I think about sweat. So it's, you know, it's, someone been exercising here has has the journey just took, taken that much out of them what what is david talking about here what is this precious oil well the oil here it, it refers to an anointing oil an anointing oil that's used to consecrate the sanctuary and the priests we actually find a description of this oil in exodus chapter 30 um, you want to turn with me there, you can. And that's just chapter 30, verse, starting from verse 22. It's, it's quite interesting to see how God um, has really commanded the use of this oil. Uh, in verse 22, he first says, 
to Moses, the Lord said to Moses, take the finest spices of liquid mirror, 500 shekels and a, a sweet smelling cinnamon, half as much. That is 250 and 250 of aromatic cane, aromatic cane. And 500 of cassia, according to the shekel of the sanctuary and the hint of olive oil. And you shall make of these a sacred anointing oil blended as by the perfumer. It shall be a holy anointing oil. And we see here these beginning verses of Exodus 30, through verse 22 here to 25. It's, it's quite amazing that, that God gave such specific requirements, ingredients of how to make this oil. This recipe here is just down to the minute detail. And the reason being is because God wants this oil to be holy, to be separated from all other oils, that no other oil should be like it. Right? If, you, if you look at me at verse 32, um, Sorry, starting from verse 31, it says, You just say to the people of Israel, This shall be my holy anointing oil throughout your generations. It shall not be poured on the body of an ordinary person, and you shall make no other like it in composition. It is holy, and it shall be holy to you. Whoever compounds any like it, or whoever puts any of it on an outsider, shall be cut off from his people. We see here how this oil is specific. It has a specific way of being made. And it also has a specific purpose. And its purpose is to consecrate, to consecrate the sanctuary and the priests. And in verse 26, it says, With it you shall anoint the tent of meeting and the ark of testimony and the table and all its utensils and the lampstand and its utensils and the altar of incense and the altar of burnt with all its utensils and the basin and stand, you shall consecrate them that they may be most holy. Whoever touches them will become holy. You shall anoint Aaron and his sons and consecrate them that they may serve me as priests. We see here how this oil is used to separate all these things, these utensils, people, this tabernacle from all other ones in the world. It's holy. It's consecrated. And this is a reminder for Israel that Israel serves a holy God, a holy Lord, a Lord that stands apart from everyone and everything. And so back in Psalm 133, then, David here, he's describing this precious oil. And this precious oil, this anointing oil, is now being anointed upon the head. It's, it's consecrating this person. It's running down to the beard. And it says here, on the beard of Aaron. Man, this some description here. I mean, I, I, don't, I don't know how, what that might feel like. With that. I mean, I don't have a beard. I wish I had a beard. I wish I can actually, you know, experience what this anointing oil feels like and coming down and you know as much as I want to grow a beer well one my wife won't let me but I think two I can't do it anyways because I'm I'm Chinese and Asian and this tends to be just just does not look good and, and so you know regards to that fact we see here that this oil runs down the beard of Aaron now Aaron he, he Aaron is the brother of Moses he is indeed the first dedicated great high priest of Israel. 
and his and it was his line. His sons were also supposed to be priests. And so what we see here is most likely an image, um, maybe from Leviticus chapter eight, an image of Aaron and his sons being consecrated by oil to be set apart for priestly duties. And what we see here is that this, this is a holy moment. It's a moment that defines who Israel is, what they are to be before God. The point here, the point of this analogy, the point of this analogy is, is threefold. So I want to bring on three points here. Three. First, the corporate unity of believers is to be sacred. The corporate unity of believers is to be sacred. It's a consecrated unity that separates the community of believers from the rest of the world. Our fellowship together is unique and different from any other groups in this world. Right? And when we think about this, this is, this is something that's spectacular and amazing because for all of us individually, right, we're all accepted into the church, into, into Christ, right? All people are welcome. You could be of any race, any gender. Uh, you can be poor or rich. You can be single. You can may have children. You may be married. You may be divorced. It, it doesn't matter what social class you belong to in this world. When you are in Christ, you are of Christ. You're welcome into the community of God. But this community itself is united and bond together by something that's unique, something that's sacred, something that's different from the rest of the world is distinct. Because you may come and enter to a church with any kind of identity, but when you're in the church, you bear one identity. That is of Christ. And this is amazing. This is spectacular. This is something that, that is just unique and distinct from the rest of the world. Second, we see here that the corporate unity of believers is celebratory and joyous. This, this anointment of oil is supposed to be a symbol of joy and blessing. Right, when we think about when Israel thought about Aaron and his, and his sons being consecrated by oil, they were doing that so that Aaron and his sons can be priests, can offer sacrifices to God and to usher the rest of Israel into a time of joyous worship. This is meant to be something that's, that, should, that we do in celebration, that we do with such joy. Uh, Ecclesiastes chapter 9 verse 7 to 8 refers to this. In Ecclesiastes chapter 9, verse 7, it says, Go, eat your bread with joy and drink your wine with merry heart. For God has already approved what you do. Let your garments be always white. Let not oil be lacking on your head. So we see here this dripping of oil is, is almost like you know, our modern day concept of a, of a Gatorade cooler being poured upon a coach's head in celebration. This is a joyous occasion. Finally, note here in the end of verse 2 that this precious oil is running down. And, and, and there's, this, there's this aspect of running down that's being repeated here in verse 2, right? First, it runs down from the head to the beard. And then from the beard to the collar of his robes. It's saying here that the blessing of unity is all-encompassing. 
It's a blessing that flows down from God to, to the high priest and on to the rest of the people of God. We find here that the corporate unity of believers enriches all of life. We have a shared experience of enriched joy and blessing. Spiritual unity touches every person who's part of the body and it touches every area of our lives. We see here that spiritual unity is not just reserved for Sunday mornings, but is indeed a walk of life. And this is the same point as carried forth by the second metaphor here, by the second simile here in verse 3. And it says here that it is like the dew of Hermon, which falls on the mountains of Zion. What we see here is a comparison of this dew, this, this rainfall, this condensation that that represents life and fertility, blessings. And it comes down from Hermon to the mountains of Zion. And well, we have to kind of keep in mind of these geographic locations. First of all, Hermon, Mount Hermon is actually hundreds of miles north of Zion. And Zion is just another name for Jerusalem. Right? So Mount Zion refers to Jerusalem here. And so, so, so what we have here is not exactly something that's scientifically, oh, this is how it works within the land of Israel. This is, this is poetic. This is poetry. This is talking about what is known about the hue of, of the dew of Hermon, which is that the rainfall there fertilizes the land below it. And it's, and that this then, this rainfall, this, this life-giving water, is overflowing from the north and descending upon Zion, the south. It's all encompassing and enriches all of life and all those who fall underneath it. This is talking about the blessing of unity that comes from God above and how it covers all believers. And just like how the dew of Hermon makes the land fertile and teeming with life, God's blessing upon his people is enriching and it sustains life. And so we see here these two key, these two similes here. And the key point here is that the unity of the unity is a blessing from God. The unity of the peoples here is a blessing from God. God has separated all of us. He has picked you out individually, one by one, to be part of his corporate body. This is, this is all about God and his will and how he has called each one of you individually to be part of this team, this family. Uh, we, we see this throughout the book of Ephesians in the New Testament. In Ephesians chapter 1, Ephesians chapter 1 talks about our calling. In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3, we see some parallels of what's going on in, in, in our psalm tonight. And Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. What we see here is this concept of how God has called each one of us, each one of you, to be holy and blameless, to be part of the body. And then later on in 
Ephesians chapter 4, we see then that this calling, this calling is you individually to be part of a corporate unity as one. In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 1, Paul here, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. He goes on to keep describing how we are all one in Christ and how Christ is what unites us all together. And this leads us to worship him. Ephesians chapter 5. Verse verse 19 talks about how we address one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with all your hearts. See, in the Old Testament with Psalm 133, we see here how the temple draws the Old Testament saints to worship together. But in the New Testament, it is Christ who unites us. It is Christ who blesses us with his sacrifice. It is Christ who died specifically for you so that you, so that we can all be part of his chosen people, set apart from this world to be holy and blameless. And if you're here with us tonight and you do not know Christ, maybe you're visiting, you're checking out what does it mean? What is, who is Jesus Christ and all this? You're wondering what is this Christian faith? Is this, there is this certain joy here of being part of Christianity, this being part of this family. And if you want to know more about this, you have to first come to know Christ who unites us. Christ who died for you so that your sins may be wiped clean and you can join this family, this body of God. What then does this mean for you? What then does this mean for all of us here who are indeed brothers and sisters in Christ? What does it mean for us to gather together? Because we see here that we, when we gather together, we're, we don't gather together just to hang out. We don't gather together just to be with people we like, which, you know, I'm, we should like each other and we should hang out. But we have to remember the central purpose of why we are united together is that we are all called by Christ. We are all anointed by him. We gather together because as because when there's two or three are gathered in Christ's name, Christ is amongst them. He is our unity. He is our peace. We come together and worship because of Christ. And this is the very reason why we gather together even online. Right? Because we, we're, we're all spiritually united together. We're all called by God and saved by the blood of Christ. Well, we're not a social group who have a common interest. We're not just compatible with one another. We are indeed fundamentally connected and united because of Christ. And we have to remember that. We have to remember that the blessings that come from the cross, runs down from the cross and covers all of us. When we keep our minds focused upon the purpose of our gathering together to worship God, it really impacts the way we come together in fellowship. 
it impacts the way we even think about what does it mean to come back in person and regather. Right? When we come back in person, when we regather, I want us to think about this. Because when we come back together, when things open back up, everyone's vaccinated, say we, everything's lifted and we can come back full capacity. I want us to realize the reality that, that we come back different. We're not coming back the same. But we're not returning back to the way it was before because we have all changed in some way or form over the course of this past year. For instance, when things were locked down, I was a single man. And I'm going to come back as a married person now. Um, and, and so that's different. That's a different kind of reality that the group dynamic will be different because you will be different. Even the people within the group will be different because there'll be some old faces that return, but there'll also be new faces. And for those of you guys who joined us online, first of all, thank you for joining us online. I'm sure it must be hard looking for fellowship and coming to a new group on Zoom and joining us here. Thank you for joining us. But it'll be great when we get to see you and meet you finally in person, face to face. And, and, but the reality, and that's just the reality of it. We're going to have some old faces around, some new faces coming, but we also might have some, some people who won't return with us. Some people who may have dropped off from the faith or some people who may have found a new church and that's okay. Some people may have moved away because of work or family. And there's a reality that our group is not going to come back the same. And we even think about our church campus. When we come back and we're fully open again, we have a new building being built and it's hopefully being open soon. That's new, that's different. We're not coming back even to the same campus. And it's an opportunity for us to think about how does our fellowship, how does IET come back and steward this new building, steward this new land, steward this, this space that we have to well, one, continue to enrich our lives as believers, but also two, how do we reach out to, to the community? How do we think about you know, our group, our fellowship together? For instance, think about how your community groups work. Think about your own small groups. Think about the different ways that you guys gather back together. And this is an opportunity for you to really recast a vision for yourself. What is this? Who's purpose? What is his goal? How can we continue to spur each other on in our walks with God so that we can worship him? Even in terms of coming back, I've been presenting this idea to, to leadership and to different people. And you guys may have saw, see it on the survey as well. I've been presenting this idea, and it's not official yet. We're still figuring things out, of coming back and meeting up for IT on Sundays. And, and I'm, I propose this because I think Sunday evening might be a better time for us to meet together, not just for you guys as young adults, but even for those who may be outside of our group, because a weeknight is just it's difficult at times. When we think about a weeknight meeting, you, you, you're fighting through traffic to come to church and you're tired maybe because from a long work day. And, and maybe for those of you guys coming on Thursday night, you have Friday work, so you have to leave early and you can't really fellowship with people. And, and so you just, you come, you leave, and you have to get home to sleep so you can wake up the next day for work. And, and or even for those who may be grad students here, I know Thursday night classes, that's a real reality and it'll be difficult for you during those times. 
And so Sunday evening presents to us an opportunity to start fellowship earlier and to end earlier as well. It even helps those who may be married, those who may have kids, that they want to join us, that it provides a better time to even build, again, intergenerational fellowship. Um, and, and we're not really fighting for her, you know, staying up late on a Thursday night. And yes, if we do come back on Sunday, I realize there's some hesitation because maybe perhaps we're listening to a second or third sermon for that day and that can be tiring. So we're still figuring things out. Again, no official decision, but I'm, I'm thinking about these things because again, I realize when we're coming back, we have an opportunity to really think about where we want to take this fellowship. Where do we want to push it towards? Because we're not coming back the same. And, and let's remember that. Let's remember, let's take hold of this opportunity and think about where does this fellowship want to go? And so we're, we're just exploring here and we're, we're trying to figure out, you know, what exactly does it mean for us to return in person? And my main encouragement here is, you know, what, not whether or not, you know, we, we do something completely different or we try to change things up like crazy. I just want us to think. I want us to, to really think about what does it mean for us to regather? Why do we want to come back? Because I'm sure many of you guys do want to come back in person. I'm sure we're all tired of the Zoom online stuff. I'm tired of preaching to a laptop. And so, you know, I'm sure we're all excited to come back in person. But I want us to realize that we should not look to come back and regather as if nothing has changed. Because things have. Things have indeed changed. But that change does not impact our unity because our unity is built upon something that does not waver. Our unity is built upon a strong and stable foundation of the blood of Christ. And when we hold to that, we will find the strength to return and to regather and to rebuild IT, maybe in a different way. When we realize that our unity is, is bonded by the blood of Christ, by the cross, we find the strength to rebuild our relationships with one another, to form new relationships with people. When we are in Christ, we have this firm foundation to try something different because we are standing upon stable ground. We can explore different opportunities, ways that can help our fellowship truly grow and really pursue the purpose of a local church, which is to be a light to this world. How can we bring the gospel to our local communities? There are so many ways and opportunities for us to think about regathering. And as long as we remember that we are united by Christ, we have then this unity that will not fail and we are empowered to try different things. And some things may fail and that's okay. Because again, our unity is not dependent upon those things. It's always first and foremost on Christ. And so we are blessed and united in Christ here. When we regather in person, I just want us to think about this. I want us to think about how can we be blessed so that we can bless others, right? How can IUT regather and rebuild to extend God's blessing in our community and our, in our little body, in our fellowship to the rest of the community, both within the church and outside the church? What do we need to do? What do we need to change in order to achieve that? What do we need to do better? Or what should we continue to do that we've been doing for years? What are these things that we need to think about? 
And if you guys have any ideas, anything you want to suggest to me, I'm open to it. And so just talk to me and I'll be willing to engage with you about it. This then leads us to our last point of tonight's sermon, which is the results. And we see here how God has, will preserve this unity. The result is that this unity is being preserved. And end of verse three, it says, for there, the Lord has commanded the blessing, life forevermore. And we get here, it says, for there, meaning for there in Zion, God has commanded a blessing. And if Zion, again, is, is, if that's representative of the body of Christ, if that's representative of the people of God, then we see here a blessing from God that will last for eternity. It says here that the Lord has commanded this blessing. And the word commanded here is an order, it's a summons. It's the same word as used when a general barks orders at a soldier. And so the word here points to God's sovereignty over his people. He commands blessing, commands blessing to his people. It's, a, it's an order that cannot be denied, and it's an order that will endure forever. It will not fail. God's will here will indeed be done. And so what God here is showing us is that there will be blessing upon blessing in your life within this spiritual family, that the unity, the union of these people will indeed experience peace and joy with one another. It's a blessing that flows from one person to the other. And it's a blessing for all those who are part of this family. God will preserve this unity forevermore. The, the main point here that we see is that the unity of believers, it truly enriches our life. It truly brings us blessing. And when we walk together as a church body, we become stronger in the faith. Right? We're like one hot coal warming up the other. And when each one of us are exercising our spiritual gifts, when each one of us are obeying the word of God, when each one of us are fulfilling our responsibility, the church as a whole is blessed by God. And what's more is that this blessing, this unity becomes a testimony to the rest of the world. God's blessing towards his church becomes so full, so constant that we can extend in that blessing to others, outsiders who may feel, who may feel like they need to find such, such love and such grace and such harmony. You see, this unity is a key to ministering this gospel to a world full of broken people. And so what then do we do as a fellowship? What then do we do as a fellowship? What is the purpose of in transit? What is the purpose of this fellowship? What is the purpose of the church? Why should we come back to this thing? What's the point of all this? We see here that this blessing, at the very end, this blessing is life forevermore. And this is not just speaking about eternal life. This speaking about how our blessings will continue day by day, day by day by day. We will experience God's mercy and grace anew. Every single day we'll sing a new song. God will continue to bless us day by day. And that blessing, that blessing will 
is what we experience when we are able to gather back in person, unite together. And my hope is that in transit will grow in this way. That in transit will grow as a fellowship united upon our love for Christ. That we are not here in this fellowship just because we, we're, we're single and this group falls within our age range. We're not here simply because this is where our friends are at. We, and we, we don't leave in transit because we just were uncomfortable. I pray that our fellowship is, remains united, remains together because of Christ. Our love for Christ. Our union with Christ. And yes, that means that as in transit grows older, as you guys grow older, if we continue down this route and you guys get married, have children, if you guys choose to stay within this fellowship and continue to help build it up, to, to reach out to those who may be recent grads from college, this fellowship may no longer become a young adult fellowship anymore. And that's okay because it will simply be a fellowship of believers. It can still be in transit because we're all in transit in this life but it could be a fellowship of believers. And I think that's better because that means we aren't united just because we're young adults. We're united because we are of Christ. I want us to continue to think, how can we regather in transit as a community that ushers all people from different backgrounds and life stages into the presence of Christ? Because when we experience true unity and when others come in and see and experience that true unity and peace, that harmony, it points to something that's supernatural. It points to something that's transcendent. It points to something that cannot be explained by human terms, that all these different people from different backgrounds, different lives can come together and be as one family. That must take a work of God. When our community can look like that, when our church can look like that, it truly becomes community that points people to Christ. It points people to know Christ. It points visitors to know Christ. It points those who grew up in the church to know Christ. And we can truly gather together in this way that we are a fellowship of all people, all believers, all backgrounds. And that doesn't mean there's no place for single young adults. There are times and places where we still need to talk about what does it mean to be a single young adult and what the scriptures say about that and what does it mean then to, to, to date or to get married what does it mean to work and to find a job and career there's all these different topics that still need to be talked about but can we do that in a way that walks life with life with the rest of the church in an intergenerational way and so i want to i want to to present this sermon and end it with just this thought that we are indeed in transit. We're a fellowship of young adults and I love everyone who's here and I wanna to continue to minister to each one of you. But in transit is not a standalone fellowship. It is part of SCBC Walnut, which means we are indeed part of an intergenerational church. And so how then can we continue to build this fellowship up so that it remains intergenerational with the rest of the church and that includes stuff like the events we've been doing with the 50 plus it includes stuff like the events with the turf the college fellowship and it joint events these are all great opportunities to continue to build the fellowship together along with the rest of the church and as we do this let us continue to also remember remember our calling of the church to reach out to the community to reach out to those around us 
They reach out to the people in Diamond Bar and Walnut and Roland. Because in a world full of broken people and societies, the church presents a place of harmony and peace. When we remain united, our fellowship can proclaim the gospel in such a way that rings true to them because they see it, they experience it. When our fellowship is built upon the unfading blood of Christ, which washes away our sin and makes us new again, then our fellowship becomes a light and a testimony to the rest of the world, most of all to the community around us. And so the big idea, the message is this, that God enriches the lives of his people through the spiritual unity of the community in order to bless the world. In order to bless the world. And so let us think then, what does it mean for us to regather? What does it mean for us to come back in person? What does it mean for us to rebuild this fellowship? What does it mean for myself to come in as a new pastor then to lead this fellowship? Pray for me and, and, and join me because I'm not just leading you guys in whatever way I want. We're working together as one body. And so, I, and so let us continue to unite together as one pursuing Christ together, worshiping him with such joy and blessing. And let us continue to proclaim the gospel through our lives, through the way we live, and through the way we care for one another and for this world. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you, God, that your word shows us the great blessing it is to be in your name to be called by you into this family and the experience that we can have to truly live an enriched life of blessing. That Lord, we have this relationship, not just with you, but with these brothers and sisters across the globe of different nations, of different cultures, of different backgrounds and languages. Lord, we are truly a unique group consecrated and sacred called to your name lord let us then proclaim you proclaim christ who unites us proclaim christ who saved us proclaim christ and him crucified lord let us continue to remember this and as we do indeed gather back together as slowly things open back up and the church is open for people to return fully i pray lord that we come back with a heart that seeks to worship you, a heart that seeks to pursue you, a heart that seeks to fulfill your calling in us, to be a testimony to the rest of the world. Let us unite together in such a way that truly transcends all other things in a way that proclaims the gospel of your son to those around us. So thank you, God, for such a gift. Thank you, God, for the blessing you have given to us. Let us then worship you. I pray all this in your holy and precious name. Amen.